Yo, what's up, baby? This is Burt Watson, and you're listening to Pro Sports Podcasters, baby. The best sports podcast on the internet. The only one I know. Your night, your fight, you need to get it right and listen to Pro Sports Podcasters all night long. Boom! We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. My name is Corbett Aran. You guys know me as Kobe, and I've got the funny man, Justin, with me. That's Justin with an E. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit of MMA and some mental health as well. We've got a guest with us, but before I introduce him, Justin, how you doing? Oh, man, I am living the dream. And like, my guy, I've been so stressed right now with uh, with some NFT work that you've been talking about. I've been following it. Kind of stressful because I have to really plan my stuff. Again, fans, if you don't know about this, Kobe runs the NFT part of our program. Check us out at prosportspodcasters.com and subscribe to our newsletter for all the info. And man, I've just been doing a lot of work. A lot of I'm in school right now for Teachers College. So, so many essays, so many reports. And honestly, I just need a bit of a mental break. So I'm excited to be here. Thank God for Cole's notes. And today we've got <laughs> Salim Hanif with us. Salim Hanif is a advocate for mental health, does work with TDSB, so Justin may have a few questions for him, but he's also an MMA <laughs> judge, which I've got a lot of questions about. Salim, how are you doing? I'm doing great to see. Good. Uh, thanks for having me here, and I'm um, really looking forward to having a chat today. Looking forward to it. And you are a fellow, a fellow Torontonian, correct? Uh, yeah, technically from Scarborough on the east side of the city here, but yeah. Okay, so as somebody from Toronto, because this comes up a lot, and let's just get it out of the way right now. Okay. Are you a Raptors fan? Oh, <laughs> straight up, huh? I got to say, I, I, I have to say, when I first got into basketball, I started as a Miami Heat fan in 88 when they first came out with the team. And then, of course, when the Raptors came along, it's hard not to go with the Raptors and the home team. But to be quite honest with you, if I'm going to be straight up, right now, if I had to pick a basketball team, I am a Scarborough Shooting Stars fan. Oh, okay, the Shooting Stars, the Shooting Stars. Nice. And I, yes, I don't blame you either. That's a fantastic squad. Great development program there. But follow-up question, and this has to do with the Raptors. Mm -hmm. Should we keep or should we trade Pascal Siakam? Uh, it depends what we're getting back for him. You know, it's one of those things where uh, I think you got to let the season play out a little bit before uh, before we pull the trigger. But uh, it, it will be interesting to see what we get back for him. Okay. Okay. There you go. There you go. Just, well, Justin is a Siakam hater. So mm -hmm. we just want to get that one out of the way before it comes up later. Ah, uh, fair enough. <laughs> now, Salim, you are a teacher? I'm a social worker. Well, they tell me I'm a social worker. That's what I trained as. And you operate out of a school? So I'm kind of in a different, a little bit of a different spot, actually. Um, I, I, got, I got traded for cash considerations to a provincial organization <laughs> for, uh, for a few years. So uh, I technically work for a mental health organization that uh, helps all the school boards in the province of Ontario support their mental health and well-being strategies. 
Okay, now that's a very difficult and challenging field for a lot of people when it comes to the decision of what I want to do later in life. What what made you choose that as a vocation? Oh, that's a great question. You, you know, um, you know, I became a social worker because um, because of my dad. Really, uh, I initially went to to school to become a vet. Uh, I wanted to become an animal doctor, uh, and then I realized quite quickly uh, that uh, chemistry and me did not mix. You could say like, we did not have chemistry. Uh, huh. Sorry, I had to go with that. I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a, I'm a dad. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it just didn't mix. I was just like, why, why am I doing this? And uh, when I reflected back on, on what I was good at in school, uh, I saw the social sciences, law, family studies, things of that nature. And I said, uh, let me follow my dad's footsteps as much as I probably initially um, kind of rebelled against that. And um, it was the best academic decision I ever made. Okay, so he was a social worker as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Man, I love that. Social work is kind of the unsung hero. And uh, <clears throat> I also work security right now to kind of help pay the bills. And we're contracted out to various locations, whether that be hospitals, where I see a lot of social workers, retirement centers, where I see a lot of social workers again. And uh, hats off to you. I, I've heard some stories, hear some cases, and uh, it's, it's quite tough. I mean, hats off to you, sir. Uh, respect. I, I hear you. I, I did a little bit of a stint in uh, the security realm myself as well. I used to valet cars and all that. And so, uh, you know, it helps you no matter what you do in life, you develop skills and you can transfer them elsewhere. And I know you're in teacher's college, so I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that you're learning in your in your in your role that you can transfer to the classroom at some point. Lord, I hope so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, we had mentioned earlier talking about Scarborough Shooting Stars. I'm a I'm a huge CEBL fan. I've been there since the inauguration season. I was actually in Germany when they announced the CPL and CEBL shortly after that. Hmm. So I was very excited and not to brag, but Ottawa Blackjack follow me on uh, Twitter. So shout out to Ottawa Blackjacks. Um, with <laughs> with Scarborough and when they traded, I shouldn't say when they signed for J Cole. What were your initial thoughts on the J. Cole signing? Because I'll express mine right after and how I was really wrong. You know what? I was I, I was really excited at the prospect of having a world-class talent, whether that be through the arts or, or basketball, join us and help to really shine a spotlight on Scarborough. You know, we have folks like The Weeknd and, you know, Jim Carrey, Mike Myers, who bring a lot of um, focus into Scarborough. Um, Scarborough to the world, as we say. Um, but I think J. Cole signing with the Scarborough Shooting Stars and, and bringing that focus in on the Shooting Stars in the way that he did, is, he's a very genuine guy. You know, he came because he wanted to play ball. He wanted the ball. Um, and I know the connection with Drake and, and Nico Carino as, um, you know, co-owners of the Shooting Stars helped pave that way that maybe for other CEBL teams that may not have been possible, but um, I think while he was able to be here, he was fully here, uh, and, and we respected it. So that's exactly what I thought. I was like, okay, the Shooting Stars are a new team. How does a new team advance in a in a market that already has Toronto? You get a huge star. How do you get a star that you can afford? You get a star who's a rapper and didn't really do very well in the African League. In I believe it's Nigerian. He played for the whatever it is. So that's what they did. They got J. Cole, and I was like, okay, they're definitely giving up their chances and making it to the finals. And I was wrong. They made it to the finals. They fell short, which is unfortunate. However, they, I believe, won the first year of CEBL in their inaugural season. They made it to the finals. They attracted a lot of media attention. They got Drake supporting them, which 
I'm surprised it's not a conflict of interest, but I'm assuming it's because it's two different leagues. It's mm-hmm. Scarborough Shooting Stars are a joy and a pleasure to watch. Um, Incredible. With J. Yeah. Cole leaving for tour, did you see that as a bit of a slap in the face to the team? Or do you think that was pre-negotiated? I think we knew what it was going in. Uh, I just, uh, was, uh, you know, cards on the table. I'm a season ticket holder. So it's one of those <laughs> things that they're literally around the corner for me, like a five minute drive. So uh, it was a great way to introduce uh, our daughters to professional basketball in that way. And so, you know, we kind of knew what it was going in, right? Like everyone was like, oh, is he going to be here for all the games? And you quickly cross-reference the tour schedule and you realize, yeah, you know, he's only going to be able to be here. And so I think everyone kind of knew what it was going in. Um, and for those games that he, he was here for, I think whether they were at home or on the road, I think there were a lot of folks who, who were super interested and came out to support and to see what it was all about. But like you said, as the season rolled along, you realize like this, this is the team. This was a team. The, the finals, we didn't lose the finals. The finals was taken from us. We didn't get a mm-hmm. chance at that. And so, uh, just like Scarborough, we're resilient. We'll be back next year with uh, a little bit extra under, under our belts. And so it's going to be interesting and exciting. That is what I love to hear. I'm not a season ticket holder, but man, if you have an extra seat you want to support to pro sports, please let us know. All three of us will be there in a heartbeat. Hey, I got you. Absolutely. Damn. Yeah, I thought the J. Cole signing was a masterstroke, honestly, when it comes to marketing, and it benefited the entire league. So that was good from a number of aspects. But you know, switch things up a bit. I've, I've got to ask you about this. How did you end up becoming an MMA judge? um yeah so you know what uh it's a bit of a long story um we got time you got time (laughs) appreciate it um you know it's one of those things where uh, i'll be honest like going through high school uh i was a big wrestling fan you know wcw ecw wwf um and i used to you know there's something about it that i was like oh this is awesome but like i wanted a little something more and so, you know, I started uh, getting tapes from like Japan and Mexico and, and, and I was looking for some reality in, in, in my professional wrestling, um, you know, and came across things like ECW. It was a little more gritty. It was a little more real. Uh, you get the, the new Japan pro wrestling. You see the uh, the Japanese death, death matches with Cactus Jack and Terry Funk and all those folks. And I was like, oh, man, this is more real. And then. One day I got a tape and I was in high school, I think uh, grade 10, and I got a tape with a bunch of like stuff from Japan. At the end of this tape, uh, I think there was some footage from UFC 7. It's, you know, at the time, it had the tagline of uh, as real as it gets. The yeah. UFC had the tagline, right? And so I'm like, as real as it gets? Is this what I've been looking for? So I, uh, I got instantly hooked. Um, it was something realer. It was, it was genuine combat. Uh, there was a certain amount of respect and... Um, uh, collegiality that happened in MMA that was so new to me and that I hadn't seen in other other sports, whether it be wrestling or karate or what have you. Um, so I was instantly hooked with Marco Huas, Ken Shamrock, Oleg Taktarov, Dan Severn, Hoyce Gracie, like all those guys. Um, and, and so for like over a decade, I was just in it. And, you know, I went to university and, you know, studying social work, as I mentioned. Um, and there wasn't a ton of guys who were in social work at the time. And the one, the other guy that was in my, my, well, my classes, Peter Kim, he was a huge MMA fan. And so he had a connection to pride and he was able to bring all the pride, uh, stuff over and, and got to engage in a different level, not just the stuff that was happening in North America. And so I spent like over a decade just steeped in it and just, just loving it. I wouldn't miss a second of it. And then uh, around 2011, um, I was watching a, a UFC event one Saturday night, as we usually do. 
and and the commentator said something and for some reason i don't know where i was that day i was just in a sour mood and they said something and they said well after a decision one of the commentators said something like well that's why you don't leave it in the hands of the judges and i, yep. I disagreed i was like i disagreed so much with him at that i was like yelling at the tv i'm like what are you talking about whatever and i guess my my dad like he wasn't there at the time but uh his his uh uh, saying came into my mind. Like my dad is very counterculture, and so he'd take like these famous sayings and he'd flip them around to like make them true, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, at least according to him. And uh, so I'm sure we've all heard that knowledge is power before. Yeah. And, and so he never believed that. He believed that that knowledge is just potential. And so his saying was that knowledge isn't power until you act on what you know. So you got to take that potential and put it into action, kind of thing. And so I'm sitting there yelling at the TV. Well, at this point, I'm standing uh, yelling at the TV. And uh, I'm saying, like, you know what? I can yell at the TV. I can be upset. The sport that I've fallen in love with and it has given me so much joy. I got to do something about it. I can't just sit here and just complain. And so I immediately became obsessed with getting trained as an MMA official. Uh, I just got online. I was like, how can I get trained? Where can I go? Like, where do these people? It was so mystical, right? Like, how do you even get into this? Yeah. And so I figured, let's start at the beginning, which was Big John McCarthy, right? Mm. The godfather of MMA, right? So I'm like, let me figure out what Big John does. Does he does he help people out? And so he did. And it was awesome. But he was in California. And getting to California, getting trained and so forth, it wasn't cheap. I wasn't able to make it happen. And so every week for about a month and a half, I was checking back. I was like, oh, did they add any new dates, any new locations? And then it just happened that UFC 140 was coming to Toronto. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, I hope Big John's working the show. I hope he's coming to Toronto. And I checked, and sure enough, they were offering a course in Toronto that weekend. So I immediately signed up for that course. Uh, the course that he offered was called Command. And I was like, if I'm going to learn from anyone, who else better to learn from? Uh, and so I decided I signed up for it. I went to the course and the course was facilitated over that weekend of UFC 140. So it's like we started on the Friday and Saturday was the show and then we finished on the Sunday and it was just like three full days, like 13 hour days of, of training and, and learning uh, with big John McCarthy and uh, uh, Jaron Vallel as well. And, uh, you know, at the time, uh, Herb Dean also had a course. He was, he was getting up there and, um, uh, Mark, <laughs> Mark Goddard and, and Jason Herzog, Blake Grice and all those folks. I hadn't, you know, come into contact with them yet. Right. And so it, it was just a fabulous course. And, and I will say, I wasn't able to do this without the support of my partner because like literally, uh, it feels like I'm married to the game at this point because I, I graduated and, and, and passed and became a certified command MMA judge on my first wedding anniversary. So <laughs> oh my. It, yeah, it was one of those things where it's like I got home at 1130 PM on my first wedding anniversary. Uh, and I'll never forget her face. She was still happy to see me. And so it was one of those things where it's like, you don't do these kind of things without the love and support of people. But I will say, you know, I have a couple of degrees and I went through school like a lot of us have. And this was the most intense training and testing I have ever, ever done. And uh, it was so worth it. Now, d- does it expire or is it once you have it, you have it? That's a great question. And, and you know what? Um any good pro official will continue to 
developed. Like this is this is one of those games where it's not just set in and forget it. Annually, like uh, for instance, the ABC, which is the Association of Boxing Commissions, they offer training consistently. Uh, and so they don't certify people. So what they do is they offer training so that you have a either a refresher or you can give a, a it's basically like a, for judging or roughing in MMA or boxing, you get a baseline level of knowledge uh, so that if you apply to become an official, um, the athletic commissions know oh, this person knows a little something at least. Yeah. Um, but the command command is a certification. And so while it never it doesn't expire, you got to you got to stay fresh and so forth. And so. It, it, that was just one of the most seminal weekends uh, of my life, especially in the realm of MMA judging. And I don't know if either of you, either of you remember UFC 140. It was an incredible event itself. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of who was in it. I'm trying to remember it. So that was uh, uh, Jones Machida in the main event with the uh, power guillotine. He finished oh, him with. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, Frank Mir, I think, broke uh, um, a big Nog's arm with the Kimura in the co-main event or something like. It, it was just one of those. It was one of those events. that was hard to forget because of what else was happening that weekend. But the the reason why the testing was so intense be, is because Big John. He, he doesn't certify people unless he, he believes that uh, they can do the job because people or athletes are putting their lives on the line. And the least we can do is make sure that we prepare ourselves in a way that will uh, justify decisions should it go that way. Okay. So for you, is it a, is it a matter of pride or is this a practical use thing? It's a practical use, absolutely. It's something that to this day, uh, before every event, I still reflect on and review. Uh, you know, we have the unified rules of mixed martial arts that govern MMA judging in, in North America um, and in other places around the world. And so, uh, yeah, it is, it, it is a bit of a, a, a pride thing um, to say that I got to sit, but it's, it's more about gratitude uh, for me, uh, just being able to have that opportunity and to continue to grow and develop. Like I, I'm just over a decade into this game and I'm still learning and developing um, it's a continual process uh, for me. Uh, I, I, I like to say that I, I try to be the best at getting better. And uh, that's been something that's kept me uh, sharp as I go along. That's awesome, buddy. That's awesome. I've been following the UFC since day one. I've, I've been involved in mixed martial arts from the very beginning. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. It's kind of interesting to actually talk to someone who's on that side of things as opposed to a fighter or a promoter. Now, we have talked to some fighters and some promoters that tell us mixed martial arts is it's very difficult to put on any kind of event in Ontario now. Is that is that true because of the commission? Actually, not at all. Uh, it's quite the opposite. And, and I understand um, where that may have come from uh, in the past. But we, we, we're running like this past weekend. We had a wonderful event in London, Ontario. Um, and we're probably, uh, I have to check the other commissions, but I think we might be the busiest commission in Canada between boxing and MMA. Um, so, yeah, I work on the boxing side as well. But uh, the MMA judging is kind of like the passion. But, um, yeah, we're, we're a very busy commission. And um uh, very active, especially coming out of the pandemic. Okay, awesome. Are there any more training courses available for those who want to do it? And it would be held in London, Ontario, or like how would that work? Uh, also, the event that I was referencing was actually a professional MMA event, but mm -hmm. um, 
the training specifically, yeah, you just go to the ABC website, uh, Association of Boxing Com- Commissions, and uh, they, they continue. They have a training section there. They continually offer training primarily in the States uh, at this time. But uh, like I will say, I had an opportunity. Uh, their annual conference was in uh, Niagara Falls on the New York side this year. So I was able to pop over there and, and, and uh, refresh and, and connect with people and continue the learning. So that was an another life-altering, incredible uh, opportunity. Uh, just getting to chat and talk shop with folks who've been doing it for a while at the highest level kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll definitely check the ABC website. Uh, and like I said, that's, you know, you get your training so that people in the commissions kind of know that you know at least the basic level worth of stuff. And then, you know, you check out your local commission and uh, uh, go from there. There you go. Has there ever been a uh, an event that you've ever gone to and you haven't been working but you've been scoring kind of mentally or maybe like on your phone or with a piece of paper? Who uses paper nowadays, Justin? <laughs> Just making I, I, shit. <laughs> I know you're a teacher and you got to reinforce the paper thing, but... <laughs> yes, uh, I do. Yeah. Um, what are your teachables, by the way? What are you into? Are you like an elementary panel or a secondary? Secondary. It's uh, computer engineering. Computer. Oh, okay. Okay. Going to the top of the mountain there. I feel you. Try to. Um, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more, man. I got, I got some other stuff in the work that I do. But um, yeah, you know, before I started as a professional uh, judge, you know, I used to go to all the UFC shows and any shows that uh, that I see myself. But I will say, like, much like many uh, of our world-class uh, judging colleagues, we spend every weekend watching fights, re-watching, scoring fights. It's almost at a point now where like I, I I don't watch a fight as a fan anymore like it's just it's constantly yeah. part of it's like a muscle that I keep working kind of thing right so it, it's such a rare privilege to be able to be a professional MMA judge that it's constant uh, evolving commitment to growth and development and integrity of the sport so like it, it feels like a professional duty uh, to continually watch and score fights absolutely Good, because that leads me to my next question of, did you watch the Shane Sugar <laughs> Sean fight I knew where this was going. versus Peter Yan? I did see that. Actually, I landed in London just in time to get to the hotel and catch the main card uh, of the last uh, UFC. So I was able to catch it for sure. Brilliant. Uh, do you think Sugar Sean won? So here's the thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when when reviewing a fight, unless I'm there live – it's so hard to give uh, an informed opinion based on so many factors. So let me back it up for a second. So the view from the broadcast, uh, the sounds in the arena, the different angles. So as we all know that there's three judges that score a fight and they all have different angles of the fight. Yes. When we watch a fight on TV, the broadcast view, we get whatever they want to show us kind of thing. Right. And, and the audio is ne- neither here nor there, but we don't get as much of that input, uh, the the audio input as much as we would be as if we were there live. So we we get a biased kind of uh, running commentary as well. And so you get used to channeling that out and so forth, but it's hard to give uh, a fully informed opinion based on the broadcast view. But what I will say is that fight, and I haven't gone back to to watch it. I was just landing in the hotel and then kind of uh, checking it out as I was getting hydrated and ready for the show. But I will say that I think that that fight is a great example uh, of our scoring system uh, and what people may not understand, uh, the casual observer, about our scoring system. And so from what I recall, you have a, a fairly close first and third round, but a, a very clear second round that, that Ian took. Mm-hmm. 
And so when you look at the fight as a whole, and, and you see the first and third, it's like, ah, oh, it's fairly close. Maybe it can go either way. But then you see the second, it's like, Jan dominated that round. Then it's kind of like, oh, well, Jan won the fight. But that's not how MMA judging works. Each round is its own fight. Uh, and we, we evaluate each round at a time kind of thing. So it's it's always possible that you get those rounds that stick out and make the fight seem as though it's incredibly one-sided. And then you have a couple of other close rounds um, and it doesn't seem to compute. So I think this may be one of those situations where where uh, it, it did kind of look that way. And so I think this, if, if anything, it's just one of those things that kind of gives us a better look into to our scoring criteria and how we score fights and, and maybe gives us an opportunity to talk about the, the scoring of fights as opposed to maybe this uh, specific one. Justin, I got to jump in there. I got to jump in yep. there. Go ahead. So that's something I've had issue with for a while. Do, do you think that the, the unified rules, the scoring system is flawed? I haven't given much thought to, to the system itself. Like I know there's been a lot of talk about open scoring, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of uh, discussion around um, the 10-9 must system and the uh, connection to boxing and so forth. I think the criteria that we have for scoring fights as it is as it stands right now is good. Uh, I think it's the application and the justifications that we used to uh, justify the scores that we put out there is is what we need to focus in on a little bit more sometimes. So if I if I could take a step back for a second, uh, and I don't want to bore you guys, but like, do you know a little bit of the history of like judging in MMA? Or I do, yes, a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so so then you kind of know that like it, it's fa- we're fairly uh, new as a sport when you think about it. If you look at basketball, hockey, soccer, baseball, um, we're probably less than thirty years in to judging in MMA, and, and so there obviously are things that we have adapted and changed as the unified rules of MMA have changed and been adapted. Like uh, in, in twenty sixteen, I believe, when we added in the three Ds of of uh, domination, duration, and damage to give us a better uh, understanding and to help others understand a little bit more about how fights are judged. So I think it really comes down to, uh, you know, any judge is, is nothing without their justification, if that makes sense. Okay. I, more, a simpler question then. Do you think significant strikes are overweighted in the current system? I don't know if that's a question to, that, that could be answered, right? Like, so like the first level of the criteria that we look at is, is um, effective striking and grappling, right? So those are yes. on the same plane, right? And then you go down to secondary criteria of effective aggressiveness or uh, fighting area control. So those secondary criteria, we'll put those aside for a second. But uh, the effective striking and grappling, it really depends, right? We're talking about impact. We're talking about the, the effect, the impact on uh, the, the opponent. And immediate impact outweighs cumulative impact. So that would be jab, 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 landing versus a knockdown. Okay. Okay. So as a judge, you have 10 jabs that land. All those jabs, you can't say, oh, one point, one point. It's not a numbers game necessarily. It's about the immediate impact. And so the knockdown outweighs because of the impact on the opponent. And so it really comes down to the impact more than the, uh, the, uh, the, the accumulation of impact, if that makes sense. Okay, so you're saying basically from a judge's standpoint, this is more of a qualitative judging system versus a quantitative judging system. 
You can say that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not something where so I, I know on broadcast often they'll have like the, the fight metric stats. And, That's right. And, and things of that nature. And so uh, judges don't have those numbers in front of them. And so I, nor do I think maybe they, uh, I don't think they should, uh, it's because there's an influence there that's not necessary. And, and who knows that's being filtered through someone else's perception anyway. Right. Yeah. So just like, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So o- over the weekend, again, we saw, um, Islam Makachev and, and Charles Oliveira, right? Yeah. And I think we hear this sometimes about, uh, uh, Khabib stand up and, and Makachev stand up. Some people will say like, oh, the technique is so, trash right it's like oh his technique is not good but it's about the effect right he's throwing his fist out there with the intention of landing it and impacting his opponent in a way that'll finish a fight so if his opponent has excellent technique and he's throwing and he's throwing but it's not landing that's not effective and so what we're what we're really talking about is uh effective tech uh the impact of the technique not how effective not how um pretty the technique is if that makes sense so it's all about the impact is someone you know you want to ask yourself things like is someone moving like submissions for instance uh how close was that to finishing the fight was it locked in did he have to have his hands clasped um was he able to hip in and 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 uh, torque uh the knee things of that nature mma is an offensive sport uh, you're looking for folks who are trying to finish the fight. And so uh, I think that might, I don't know if that speaks to the question that, that you asked, but um, I, I think that's something that we look at as judges. We're looking who's trying to finish the fight, who's working towards finishing the fight, who's impacted their opponent more than the other things of that nature. Okay, no, that does answer my question. And one last one for you as a judge and not a fan. So take your fan hat off here for a second. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, then, who's the greatest mixed martial artist of all time? Whew. That's a tough one. Um, the only fan hat I've had on is the Scarborough Shooting Stars one for the last <laughs> 20-something <laughs> years, I got to say. Um, but, you, you know, there's, the, the sport continues to evolve so much that uh, it's so hard to compare nowadays, right? Like, so you look at someone like George St. Pierre, who is retired and, and gone, and you compare them to someone who is currently active. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so hard to compare because of, uh, of how much the sport continues to evolve uh, year after year. But uh, you know what? I think we'll circle back to that one when, uh, when I'm retired, perhaps. Fair enough. Fair enough. Justin? Right. So we're just going to circle back real quick to the Scarborough Shooting Stars. As I kind of touched on briefly there with their development and everything they've done so well thus far, uh, what do you think their next big move will be during essentially this offseason until the season begins? You know what? The core, the core of the team, uh, I hope uh, we can keep fairly intact. Uh, I think we had some incredible talent that didn't uh, quite get a chance to, to get off the ground. Your Cassius Robertson's kind of joined a little bit uh, later in the year. Isaiah Mike seemed to have been injured a little bit near the end. Cameron Chapman, Chapman and, and things of that nature. Kyle, Kyle Alexander was gone for a little bit uh, to, to play for in the summer league, things of that nature. And so it's such a tough league to call because of all of the, the ins and outs uh, and players moving back and forth kind of thing. But if we were able to continue to hold on to uh, that core that we had last year uh, and, and add some solid pieces, uh, I think um, I think we'd be on an upswing. And, uh, you know, we added Teddy Buckets near the end of the season there, and he, he was there an incredible addition right so uh, if we can kind of keep that core together but i understand it's so tough with a league like that it is extremely tough uh especially because that league understands it's still new 
And yeah, the summer league comes knocking and there's chances for NBA uh, NBA promotion. Obviously, players are going to want to go for that because the summer league's a quicker transition. Now, with that being said, there's cases of Xavier Moon and a few other players who have made it to the NBA through success of the CEBL. So I feel like it's uh, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. If you feel yeah. like you can dominate the CEBL like Xavier Moon and I'm forgetting the guy who got signed to Milwaukee, then yeah, you're you have a golden ticket. But I get it. The summer league is still tempting, and if you can double dip, why not double dip? Like the CBL will allow it. Yeah, well, like we started the year as another example with Xavier Ratton Mays, right? And he was incredible for us, and then he had an opportunity and he left, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like we had Jalen Harris for the whole for the whole year, um, and he continually got stronger, and then he got signed uh, with the Knicks for for uh, training camp, and then that didn't work out. And so, you know, you hope that you hope for the best for guys like Jalen Harris as he comes back into the league and things like that. But selfishly, as a Scarborough Shooting Stars fan, it's like, hey, I wonder if he'll, he'll be back next season for a little summer action. <laughs> Right, and that's the thing. Even though he maybe didn't uh, get that spot this year, he still got to rub elbows with people. I'm sure he picked up a trick or two and maybe kind of intensified his training. So when he comes back, you're right, he's even stronger than he was before. So you know, if you stumble now, that's just because you weren't headed in the right direction and you need to reevaluate. It's not always a bad thing. No, not at all. Exactly. But now I do have another question for you. Mm-hmm. Not so much regarding the uh, the CEBL per se, but yeah. this is kind of involving um, a little more kind of underground MMA stuff. <sighs> okay, first off, do you watch MMA on YouTube in the sense like MMA on point and all that fun stuff? Not as much, not as much. Okay, uh, I was gonna say when you see those, do you ever um, do you ever wonder about? essentially the level of talent that's Canadian on that? Or is that, uh, is that not like a factor in your mind? Like, what do you mean? So like when you see like people in like LFA and stuff like that, if you're wondering like, Oh, like oh. that's Canadian talent going to make it to the UFC. Hey, look, we have a, a number of incredible promotions across the country from BC all the way through on through uh, Quebec and so forth that, that are providing incredible opportunities for our Canadian athletes to continue to apply their trade and, and advance their career. And so, yeah, there's, you know, well, there's it, it does it passes through my mind to say like oh yeah it's another Canadian that's great you always want to see folks represent your country and so forth right and um, I think it's we have talent in the shows that I've been blessed to work uh, to be able to see some some incredible talent go up to, to the big show and be in the big show and do well and things of that nature and um, uh, I think we need more of that we just we need to have more opportunities for for our athletes to continue to develop and move forward I think it's great that is great too and what else is great is the fact that you run a charity you want to talk about that a little bit uh kind of which which one are you referring to (laughs) every single one this is your platform brag about it plug what you need to plug the clothing line too by the way uh yeah so i I work uh it's kind of a bit of a passion project i haven't been able to put a much as much time into it as i as i've been getting a little busy but uh uh, I have a small style consultancy for ambitious men in education where uh, yeah. I just help help guys find their find their style to increase their confidence as they move through the world of education. And um, so so that's uh, something that I do on the side is educatedstyle.ca or educatedstyle on um, Instagram. But uh, yeah, it's just something that I started as a charitable endeavor. I used to work with an organization um, 
uh, called Dress Your Best in Toronto, and it used to help newcomers and so forth, uh, those re-entering the work for, workforce, you know, get, get new clothes, get uh, a, a renewed sense of confidence back as they enter the workforce or re-enter the workforce. And so uh, I was looking to help support those. And I just figured I'd carve out a little bit of a niche and specifically um, tied to education and uh, my own style journey. And so, uh, yeah, help out where I can. That is brilliant. I mean, for the education stuff, obviously, I want to talk to you kind of maybe off air about this. I uh, kind of want to know what you're doing with that. And in terms of clothing, if there's anything you want us to rock, let us know. We'll uh, we'll gladly try to help out where we can. No, I appreciate that. It's not a, it's not a problem. And like I said, like uh, our our athletic commission is very uh, is busy, and so there there are especially during the summer this past summer, and so there are a couple of weekends where I can't make a shooting stars game. So I think some tickets will fly your way at some point. Hell yeah. Right on. All right. Thank you, sir. Now, before we let you go, how can our fans become fans of you on social media? Ah, it's no worries. I'm, 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 I'm not here for that necessarily, but I appreciate the opportunity. I, I just, you know, I, I, um, I'm just a passionate MMA judge and official just trying to continue to develop and, and, and get better and, and connect and, Overall, really just appreciated the opportunity to connect with you guys and, and just reflect on, on how I got started. And um, it's just left me feeling more grateful than ever before to, to have this rare privilege to be a professional MMA official. You know, beyond my family, it's my life passion. Uh, and so just being able to talk about that and share that uh, with you all is, is, is cool. That's pretty awesome, man. That is really awesome. It's rarefied air. There aren't that many MMA officials when it comes right down to it. Yeah, it's, it's a small fraternity. And you know what? I will say that, you know, I've reached out to folks who, who work big shows every weekend or who work small shows. And, and, you know, we support each other. We connect. We talk about uh, stuff uh, all the time, consistently, text threads uh, over Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I, I if anyone's listening to this and they, they have a similar passion or they're interested and they just never knew where to get started, you know, I just encourage you to, to go to the ABC website, uh, abcboxing.com, I think, and, and check for your local commission see if there's any upcoming trainings go to check the training out uh and, and get your journey started because uh you know knowledge isn't power until you act on what you know as they say if you're in ontario specifically and you're looking to reach out to the ontario athletic commission you can reach out to our commissioner luke kodic at athletics.com c-o-m-m at ontario.ca if you're looking to start your journey there thanks for tuning into the podcast For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.